The church was built to last on the life and the miracles of Jesus, on his resurrection and on his teachings. And so each message during the series, Built to Last, we've started with the greatest sermon ever preached, where Jesus first was teaching a mass of disciples. And we've seen how that foundation that he laid as the cornerstone of the church has informed everything that's come before and since. And so today, again, we're going to read from the Gospel of Luke. You'll see how that ties into our series years later in Antioch and here 2,000 years later, living out the implications. So would you please stand with me in honor of God's word as we continue to read from the Gospel of Luke, the greatest sermon ever preached, chapter 6, verses 37 and following. Jesus says this, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then he told this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Please be seated. So we are studying the building blocks of a church that lasts. A church that is built to last, to withstand anything that this world throws at it. And we've discovered so far, two of the seven building blocks of the church here in Antioch. We looked at two. We're going to look at the third one today. The first building block is a church built to last must be spirit-filled. Its leaders and people must be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to be a church that's built to last. And then last week, Joe talked about uh, what, it, what it means to innovate, to advance the gospel. The, the church that's built to last has to be gospel-driven. That has to be the driving force behind everything that a church is about. And he actually looked at it less from the context of new programs or new ways of outreach, where, there's, where there are many examples of that. And certainly it was very innovative at how people were reached here in Antioch. You know, Joe took it to a whole nother level. He talked about the work within us. God wants to innovate within us to advance the gospel. Now this morning... We're going to look at the third block. The first block being spirit-filled. The second being gospel-driven. And today, Christ-centered. A church built to last has to be a disciple-making church community. And I'm thankful that at the core of our church, of everything that we do, from the carnival event, the offering, all the ministries we have, all the missions that we have, all of it is designed behind it, undergirding kind of the the, the software that it's all built upon is to be a disciple-making church. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who, who trusts in Jesus, just as Elijah did today, and commits their whole life to trusting and following Jesus. Even as he said here 
Can the blind lead the blind? No, you'll just fall into a pit. He says, the, the student is not above the teacher, so don't get over your skis, don't get ahead of the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. That's the goal of discipleship. So disciples are, are learners, they're students, they're, they're followers of Jesus, wanting to become more and more like him, but there are other aspects to being a disciple. A disciple, a Christian disciple, worships Jesus exclusively. So to be a disciple means you are a worshiper. And, and, and a, a disciple is also one who serves. A disciple is one who follows the, uh, the uh, example of Jesus and then wants to live in that same life of service, to serve others with love and kindness and goodness. And we saw that when Stoney talked about Vine Maple Place. We want to be servants to other people outside of our church. We want to give our love away. So a disciple is, is a student, is a worshiper, but is also a witness. And we have the profound privilege and honor to tell other people about Jesus. Share, he's my savior, he's my Lord. You can have life. You can cross over from darkness to light. You can start again. There's hope. We sang, our team sang about that all morning. It was worship, yes. It was singing for sure, but it was also a witness. And we can be witnesses to the world around us, to friends and perfect strangers. Because that is the very commission that Jesus gave the church, the great commission. And many of you know it, Matthew 28. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I've taught to you. And, and he says, obeying everything he has commanded you. This is the mission of the church, capital C. And so really the option is go, make disciples, or what? What's the alternative? Disobey. This is our calling. This is the mission of the church. The problem is the American church is doing a lousy job of making disciples. That's a little harsh, Pastor Pete. I, heard, I know. But you have to just look at the evidence. There's all manner of, of studies out there, and I looked at a number of them uh, this week, and they're actually pre pretty disheartening because the trend is not a good one. I looked at Gallup, Barna, Pew Research, there's a brand new one from Lifeway Research and others that are tracking the American church life to show what are people in, in the pews actually believing and their behavior. So beliefs and behaviors. And what these studies are showing, the trend lines are showing that uh, be, belief and behaviors of evangelicals aren't much different from our, our secular counterparts. What's that mean in, in Christianese? How would we put that? The church is looking a lot like the world. There are too many people in America who are Christian in name only. So we have to get back to the original definition of what it means to be a disciple, a student, a worshiper, a servant, and a witness for Jesus Christ. That's our third block. We're going to look at the example of it here in the church in Antioch. Now, what makes this place so special, MVC, is this is a Christ-centered, uh, disciple-making community. Do we do it perfectly? Folks listening at home, do we? No, no. Do we, are, we, are we trying? Yes. Are we radically committed to Jesus? 
sometimes even oftentimes. But I can tell you this, truly the leaders and the servants of this church, all the ministry and mission of this church is directed towards this goal of making disciple-making Christians. And it's a beautiful thing to be a part, to see what the Holy Spirit is doing in, our, in, this, in this place. And so I'll say it again, at the core of everything we do at a church, it's informed, it's directed, it speaks to what it means to be a disciple-making community. So here's our definition. It'll be on the screen. It should be on the screen. Our definition of disciple-making or, or discipleship is this. Why don't we read it together? Discipleship is a lifelong, relational, spirit-empowered pursuit to become more like Jesus. The greatest issue facing America today, with all its heartache and hardship and heartburn, it's not COVID. As scary as that is now, and they're saying the fall is going to get worse, it's not the election in 16 days, as monumental as this election is. The greatest issue facing us is whether or not the American church standing together will take a knee, confess before the Lord, as Sarah was just praying for revival, say, Father, forgive us. Send your Holy Spirit powerfully into us, to work through us, to be your worshipers, to be your witnesses and your servants. And for the church to then stand up and be the body of Christ. That's the most important issue facing us. For his kingdom's sake. To be learners of Jesus, pursuing him. And to see the implications of his kingdom impact every area of our public and private life. So let's now turn to Acts chapter 11, and let's look at the example of the church there, that early church from 2,000 years ago in modern-day Turkey, Antioch, where disciples were being made. And I'll read to, to us Acts chapter 11, verses 21 to 26. It says this, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When Barnabas arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their heart. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, we know later as Paul. And when he found him, he brought him back with him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Disciple, disciple making or discipleship, first and foremost, is a lifelong pursuit. Luke writes that Barnabas was sent. He was there on a fact-finding mission. He wanted to find out what was really going on in Antioch. Was it true? Was it true the things that Jesus had taught and promised to happen? That somehow it had, had leaped from only uh, Jewish people being converted to now Greeks, Gentiles, receiving the good news of a gospel message that's to go out to the whole nation, all of the nations. And he sees that and he's blessed and he's glad. He preaches and many come and he's encouraged uh, in his heart and he tells them to remain true to the Lord. Spiritual growth, Barnabas knew, takes time. 
fact, it takes a lifetime. Now, two weeks ago, I wasn't with you. I was down in Santa Barbara uh, for our denomination, ECO, uh, Evangelical Covenant Network of, of Pastors and Churches and Missionaries, our, this order of, of what God's doing uh, among us to help with the assessment of new pastors uh, joining our ranks uh, in ordination, to, to officially receive ordination as pastors in the church. And, and I was there as an assessor. We don't like to use the word judge because that sounds a little judgy, right? It might mess up with what Jesus was teaching. I was there to assess. These are men and women who've gone through seminary, gone through tremendous training, have, have experience in church ministry, camping ministry, uh, nonprofit ministries. But imagine if you were asked to stand and preach a sermon with eight people assessing you, eight pastors assessing you, taking notes on everything you said. Imagine if then you were given an exercise to share the gospel message in one minute, three minutes, and ten minutes to another individual with a group of pastors assessing your every word. Pretty tough, huh? But it was so beautiful. I compared it to my own ordination 20 years before in our former denomination and how harsh that was. And it was sort of judgy and it was pretty hardcore. This was a challenge and yet it was nurturing, it was caring, it was coming alongside, it was helping these men and women really determine what would be a good fit for them going forward. I was so encouraged to be there. I asked you to pray for me. Do you remember I asked? We just looked at the story of Barnabas, and I said, you know, Barnabas was such a great encourager. He was so positive. Will you please pray for me that I can bring a spirit of Barnabas to the retreat? Well, at the end of the retreat, we were saying our our farewells, and they said, we have superlatives for each assessor. And they said, Pete, we think of you as positive Pete. You've been such an encourager. Yes, answer prayer. And then I flew home. Uh, and that next day, Sunday morning, was Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And what an appreciation I felt. Gifts of, of, of wonderful gifts that people gave me and cards and encouragement was absolutely wonderful and, and, and beyond need. But what, what really struck me was I was asked by our team, just sit in the back, Pastor Pete, with your family and worship. And we'll take care of the rest. What a beautiful service. Our whole team up here, the pastors of today, the pastors coming, leading us in worship. This is a journey that is lifelong. See, the church in Antioch was a church family started entirely through conversion growth of people who had no background, no knowledge of the Bible. These are Greek people that maybe they had some faint understanding of this people of, of, of Israel who had to be trained up and taught. Barnabas and Paul understood this. Before they arrived, there was no trained pastor there. Only a few Jewish converts would have had an understanding of the Bible or or a a monotheistic worldview. And yet these people came to commit themselves to following Jesus. And it says Barnabas was encouraged, and he encouraged them, quote, to remain true for a lifetime. Now, some of us here have been walking with Jesus for, for many, many years. Elijah's been walking with him for, for, for just a short little while. But how long were these believers expected to live? A few years? What was life expectancy then? Maybe 50? I'm not even 50 yet. And we know that all the apostles were martyred for the faith. And Barnabas is standing there knowing what's coming, knowing the trouble and the hardship 
but the, the value of giving our lives away for Jesus. And he says, remain true for a lifetime. Discipleship is a lifelong pursuit. And secondly, discipleship is relational. Verse 25 and 26, it says, Barnabas went to Tarsus. That's about 85 miles away from where he was in Antioch. He went looking for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church. Now, Barnabas knew something incredible was happening. Something's going on here. And so he realized he needed a strategy for discipleship. He needed to be intentional and he needed to be persistent. And so what was the intentionality that he had? What was his plan? Ah, I'm going to go get Saul. Now, Barnabas, before anyone else, before anyone, certainly in the Jerusalem council, before any churches were planted, he knew that God had a special anointing on Saul, we know later as Paul. Saul, who grew up was as a Jew and was a Pharisee, who had gone to Arabia for three years to train and study, he knew and he saw in his life a man especially appointed to bring good news both to Jewish people and to Gentile people. And so his strategy was to grab the best teacher to come to these people. He knew that to share the gospel, you need to have at least three things figured out. You need to know the content of the gospel. You need to understand the context in which you're speaking into these people's lives. And you need to have your personal story, your narrative to share. So you need to be able to preach and teach, to minister, and then you have to be able to relate. Between Saul and Barnabas, they became this dynamic duo that did just that. So discipleship has to be relational. There's an intentionality there, and that's what we saw here in Antioch. What do we see here at MVC? If you go to our website and you click where it says uh, a little bit about us, who we are, it says that uh, MVC, quote, is built on biblical values. The first biblical value is biblical integrity. We say that we believe the Bible is the unique, authoritative word of God. And it's, it's trustworthy and faithful in, in every matter of faith and life. And then we also say that we're outward focused. We believe, it says, in living out the whole of the Great Commission. And then sandwiched between those two statements about, about the Bible, about outreach, is a statement about intentional community, that we believe spiritual growth is a corporate experience. It says developed through worship, prayer, study, service, and accountable community. To be relational in this work, you, you need to have a plan and you need to be persistent and one of the beautiful things about our church is in our DNA is this work of small groups. And since I've been here, we've seen 50 plus people join new small groups in this community. Intentional community coming alongside one another to study God's word, but also to share life with one another and to grow. Now, see, back then there were no Bibles in people's homes, right? Half the Bible hadn't been written yet. Most of them were probably illiterate. So no Bible to take home, no concept of a personal devotion, certainly no curriculum. What do you think the content of the teaching was in that church? Do you think it was challenging? Have you read the Apostle Paul's writings? Even the Apostle Peter writes as an aside in one of his epistles. The writings of Paul are um, <clears throat> intense. 
It's my translation, trademark. That's deep. It's challenging. And, and we want to challenge you when we provide the Bible studies that are inserted in your bulletin and, and that our small group use. We want to have challenging questions. There's a question in there about the Trinity. What a mystery the Trinity is. We could spend a whole sermon series explaining and expounding and trying to wrestle with that. We want to challenge you. We want to encourage you to dig, dig deep into God's word. Why? Because that's how we grow. And we'll see this in the weeks to come in the church in Antioch. They needed to grow and be ready because in Acts 15, they are challenged by false teachers that come and threaten the community and the understanding of the gospel there. It's my, it's my experience that spiritual growth happens when there's deep relationships, life on life together, wrestling with the implications and the meaning of God's word for our life. Now, as a church, we want to be apolitical. We don't want to take a political stand, but I'll tell you, the politics of Jesus are controversial enough. Amen? My job here, my role since I've been here, is to preach the gospel, to preach Jesus, to point you to Jesus, and then the implications of that will play themselves out in how you live your life in every, every which way, including an election that's coming up in 16 days. Small groups are not the place and the time to debate politics. But in relationship, there is room to have that conversation. Even Paul and Barnabas later in life had a disagreement that kind of, a, a, an argument, a fight that kind of broke them up for a little while, and then they had to come back together. And so I want to give you some instruction if you're part of our small group, and you folks here, many of you are in small group. Here's my exhortation to you, a little stronger than an encouragement. It's to keep politics out of the Bible study, come together even tonight or this week for this study and get into God's word. Last week, Joe talked about the idea of while the world is building walls, we will be coming and sitting at the table, right? We're not going to let those differences that we have divide us because what, we, what brings us together, what unites us is more powerful than the things that might divide us. Yes and amen. And I would encourage you to stick to that so that uh, conversations don't go down a rabbit trail. That said, if you are in a relationship and you have a rapport, not one of our brand new groups that's just started this fall, but you've been walking with some people for some time, I think that's perfectly legitimate to have that conversation outside of the small group time. I know the men from my small group, I'm, I'm hosting a get-together tonight, this afternoon, this evening. I don't know how long it's going to be, Todd. How long are we going to be there? All night long, he's saying. We're going to get together outside of the, the bounds of our small group. This whole week, uh, we've committed, uh, Nate Strobel, our leader, asked us, let's pray for each of the seven families for seven days. We'll pray for each family in our small group. And then we wanted to get together outside of the bounds of, of a church setting and just talk. Talk to the issues and implications and pray with one another because we have that type of trusted relationship. So in that context, yes, I would encourage you to have that conversation in person with people that, that there's that rapport with. Discipleship is lifelong. It's relational. Number three, it's spirit-empowered. It's a spirit-empowered pursuit. Luke writes, quote, they taught a great number of people. Now, there's no way of knowing how many people uh, Luke is referring to, how many people uh, came from Monte, which is Turkish ravioli, how many people came for the buffet, and how many people were truly saved, truly born again, became true Christian disciples, gave their life to Christ. We have no way of knowing how many people were in each camp, but it says 
many people heard, many people responded, a great number of them, and so many of them were so completely changed, saying, a Greek person, you're no longer Greek, and a Jewish person saying, you're no longer Jew, you're a separate category, you're a new type of person, you're going to be called a little Christ, a Christian that was really used as a put-down originally. It was a derogatory term, and they wore it as a badge of honor. And they would say, and we will see in our study, this was a work of the Spirit. If you are a Spirit-filled person, you've given your life to Christ, He's invaded your life, everything changes. Every aspect of your life is reworked from the inside out by the working of Jesus Christ, by the implanting of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ within you. The gospel changes you and changes you in every way. The implications of the gospel lived out, it's sort of like electricity. And now I know I'm out on a limb here because I don't know anything about uh, electronics, but I think it's something like the current of electricity that flows from one pole to another, right? And that's how the flow goes. It's the same thing when you give your life fully to Christ. The flow moves from your moral conviction to compassion. It flows from truth, the truth of God's word, the reality that's opened up to us with a capital T in truth, to grace and works of compassion. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit. We must be spirit-filled. And there was plenty of evidence here in Antioch that they were a spirit-empowered church. From everything we've talked about, the incredible conversion of, of people would have no business being in a place of faith, worshiping Jesus, the Christ, and his Father in this place. Giving way and rejecting former pagan practices, responding to the teaching by bringing people to church, that's how the church grew. Fasting, it says, in offerings and prayers and commissioning of missionaries. Friends, I'm praying for revival for our church, for our state, for our nation. Sarah spoke to that in her own prayer for revival. That's what the offering is about. The Lord put this on Rob's heart just days before the election, October 30th. Can the church come together from the whole region and tithe, not money, but time to worship, to seek the Lord? I've been part of many revivals. Every revival in church history begins in the church. People confessing before the Lord God. Oh God. We've not lived by your word. We have judged. We haven't measured the way you spoke here in Luke 6, O oh God. Please do a new work in us. Pour out a new measure of your blessing on us. And that's where the church takes off. We're praying for that to happen here. And I invite you to be a part of that. So discipleship is a lifelong, relational, spirit-empowered, finally a pursuit to become more like Jesus. Verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. I'll invite the team to come on up. I'll just wrap up in just a moment. Friends, it's really an invitation. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. Learn with us, worship with us, serve our community and the world with us, and discover with us the implications of the gospel. Jesus wants to be part of every area of your life. Our pursuit, the habits that we form, the choices that we make, all those lead 
to us becoming more and more like him. But we have to remember, he first loved us and pursued us. Picking and choosing the parts that we have him in our life are not optional. It's like saying, well, I'll choose to be kind today, but I'm not so sure about being holy. No, he wants every part of your life. It's like saying, God, forgive me. I know I messed up. Please show me your grace. But I'm going to look at the speck of my brother's side. No, no, that's not the way it works. We always are giving our life more and more to him, learning from him, following him, pursuing him. Did Barnabas arrive in this life? No. Was Paul ever perfect in this life? No. Any of us? No, we're always growing. We're always taking steps towards Jesus. The fancy word is sanctification. We're always growing more and more in Christ-likeness. But here's the good news. Every day, our Father in heaven gives you an opportunity, choices, decisions to make to grow in your relationship with Jesus, to be more like him today than you were yesterday and more tomorrow. So my friends, as we close this morning, I want to ask you, I want to ask you at home, what's your next step? What's your next step as a disciple? Learning, growing in your understanding of God's will and his ways. What's your next step? As a worshiper, what are you going to give over to Jesus? What will you tithe of your time to him? As a servant, as a witness, the CDC is saying we're, we're heading into the next 6 to 12 weeks where there's going to be many, many more cases of COVID. We know that this election, no matter the outcome, is going to be divisive. There are going to be things that we see on the screen. How will the church act differently? Will we just watch our preferred news program at home and just shake our heads? Or will we do something about it? We're the church. We're built to last. We need to be disciples making disciples. Let's pray. So God, I pray that we would be your sent ones. Disciples, Lord, ready to serve, ready to, to come alongside and, and share the good news. Ready and willing, Lord, to worship, to put it out there who, who, we, who we love and, and who's our Lord. God, we pray as a church that we would be more united than ever. And Lord God, that you would uh, mobilize your church in the coming weeks and months ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.